12, about how we can move towards God and begin serving others more intentionally this year. And as we were reflecting on our conversation, we realized that we are so appreciative of how so many of you have used your own gifts and skills and talents uh, to come alongside us during the season of transition and to help New Cove continue to move forward, uh, to help us fulfill our vision of pointing people to Jesus and making an impact in our community. And so we just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for coming alongside New Cove, uh, giving your time and your energy to make it the wonderful thing that it is. So, thank you. Uh, I'm going to start with a story this morning. So, In the fall of 1994, uh, I reported in my first college ministry assignment at Kansas State University. And at the time, there were more students involved in the ministry there than the staff could manage. Uh, So they were very grateful to have some new people uh, come alongside to help. And so I was immediately handed this group of uh, young men in a Bible study that I was supposed to disciple. And it was really exciting to be with these young men who were, they were excited about the relationship with God. They were eager to grow in the relationship with Christ. And the first few weeks were really, really fun getting to know them and watch them grow. Until one day, one of our other staff came to me and let me know that the guys in my Bible study had been arguing with a number of other students in the ministry uh, about an issue related to our faith that was maybe important but not core or essential. And in their excitement about this issue... Uh, they had caused a lot of relational stress and division among people. Uh, they had caused some of the students to question the genuineness of their own relationship with God. And they'd sent some people to their own Bible study leaders crying because they couldn't figure out what to do with this. Thankfully, we were able to get everybody together and talk through the issues uh, and restore relational harmony. But, but the whole situation could have been avoided if this group of guys had been more clear on what is core or essential to our faith, that they'd been grounded in that, and then they had also been clear on what's important, but maybe not essential. And I think today, uh, the issues that have the potential to divide uh, any group of people, whether whether it's a family or a a church, uh, are different than the ones that the students in my Bible study were were dealing with. Uh, And the setting is probably different, uh, may not these conversations may not happen in a Bible study. They might happen at a family dinner. Uh, they might happen at the break room at work uh, or just hanging out with friends. But the same principle is true, is that uh, relational division can be avoided if we can be clear, if we can be grounded, which is the title of our series, in the core essential truths of our faith and then be clear on what things are not uh, necessarily essential but are really important. So... Uh, <clears throat> As we start our series called Grounded this week, uh, our heart behind the series is twofold. First, uh, with all the division that we see in our world, uh, we believe that the church should be an example uh, of unity and love when people disagree. And so one of the most important ways that we can be an example of that uh, is to keep clear, like I said, on which truths about our faith are essential and which ones are important but maybe not essential, and which ones are just simply our opinions, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, The other purpose for the series is that we want each of us to be inspired by the essential truths of our faith. Uh, It's often been said that no one graduates really from the basics. Uh, As we grow, we might think that uh, we need more involved, fancy uh, ideas about God for us to grow, And some of those things are important. They're wonderful. They can really enrich our relationships with God. But none of us really ever graduate from the basics. They're really wonderful. And so our hope is that you'll be inspired by the essential truths of our faith uh, as we get 
We think about being grounded in them. <clears throat> so theology, um, well, let me back up for a second here. Uh, when I think about uh, these having a, an impact on us personally uh, in our relationships every day, not just in our relationships with God, theology, the study of God and the things that relate to him, I think is a lot like music, um, which is just an area that's familiar to me. Uh, There's a technical piece to it, and then there's an experiential piece. So in music, uh, there's the physics part of it. There's uh, frequencies vibrating at certain kilohertzes and the ratios of one frequency to another that go together to create the 12 tones that we use in the Western music system. Uh, That's the physics part of it. But then there's this experiential piece where you take those 12 tones and you arrange them in such a way that they create music that has this power to sometimes affect us deeply. It can create this emotional impact on us. Uh, It can move us. It can create all sorts of different emotions in us. And so that's the experiential component of music. Uh, Theology the study of God and the things related to him can be the same way. There's a technical piece where there are biblical and propositional truths about God and who he is, but then there's this experiential component of how those truths shape the way that we think, the decisions that we make, what we value, and often even how we feel in our day-to-day lives. And so uh, even though we're going to be talking uh, over the next few weeks using Newcov's statement of faith about some theology kind of things, our heart uh, is that these things would ultimately... Uh, be things that inspire us to to relate to God in a fresh way and to maybe govern or, or change the way that we relate to one another in our personal relationships. All right, so as we jump into our series this week, um, I want to first uh, just throw out a couple foundational things I think will be helpful for us. And the first one of those things uh, is the source of our thinking and reasoning. I don't think it's going to surprise anybody, but the Bible is going to be our final authority on the topics that we'll be covering over the next few weeks. And my guess is that in a room this size, there's some people uh, who maybe have questions about the Bible, or maybe some of you who are watching us online have questions about the Bible. And we will take time to address those in a few weeks. Uh, We're going to devote a whole uh, message on how we got our Bible and why we believe it's a reliable document when it comes to talking about things related to God and Jesus and all that goes together with that. Uh, so we will get to those things. But in the meantime, uh, if you're on the fence about the Bible, I'm just going to ask you to hang with us, give us the benefit of the doubt, and I promise that we will get to those issues in a few weeks. The second thing that I think I want to offer us as kind of a, a foundation as we move forward through the series uh, is what I call a, a, a grid of different categories of belief. Uh, in his book, What Christianity is All About, Alan Scholes suggests that there are at least three categories of belief. And what he's getting at here is that not every belief that we have should be held with the same level of importance or intensity. Uh, And I think we're going to have a a diagram that's going to help illustrate some of this. The first level of belief that he talks about is what he calls convictions, or what we're going to call essentials. These are things that are central to the Christian faith, and without which we don't have the central message of Jesus and what it means to have a relationship with God through him. Uh, These are things that are usually taught very clearly in the Bible, and they're things that uh, the church has agreed on throughout the centuries and around the world. They're things that we hold in common. And so these are the kind of things that we want to hold closely. We want to stay tight to these things. These are things that include, uh, this would include things like the existence of God, uh, the miraculous birth, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and that Jesus is the only way to know God in a personal way.
So those are the things that, like I said, are core. They're essential, and we're going to hold tightly to those kinds of things. The second level of belief that Mr. Scholes suggests is what he calls persuasion. And these are what we're going to call important beliefs. Uh, These are things that the Bible speaks about, but which can be and have been throughout history interpreted differently by very brilliant people. Uh, They're things that, although they're important, they're not essential to belief in God. And so because of that, they're things that we want to hold with an open hand. These are things that, as we grow and study, we want to be willing to have our mind changed about them as the Scriptures teach us what what we learn. Uh, A great example of one of these. Well, let me back up for a second. Uh, In Romans 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul talks about this level of belief. He gives an example of it. And he's addressing an issue that had the potential to divide the church in Rome. Uh, It was the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And I'm not going to take time this morning to explain why that was important to them, but I do want to look at how he said we're supposed to relate to one another when we disagree on something like that. Uh, Paul says, uh, verse in chapter 14, that every person should be fully persuaded in their own minds in regards to the issue. So in that setting, uh, if someone decided because of the freedom that they have in Christ and because he made all things and all things are good for them, that they were free to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, then God says they should be fully, or Paul says they should be fully convinced of that in their mind and they should do so to the glory of God. He also says that those who feel like they shouldn't eat uh, because of their uh, pagan background and the sense that they might have that they're participating in something that isn't healthy for them spiritually, Paul says again, they should be fully convinced in their own mind and they should not eat for the glory of God. But he also says that at the same time that they're to be convinced fully in their own mind, they're also to not judge one another just because they believe something different about this non-essential but important issue of the day. So they're supposed to treat one another with kindness and they're supposed to respect each other and live in communities together, even though they disagree on this thing that is important but not essential. Uh, a great picture of this, uh, maybe in today's thinking, uh, is the issue of the timing of the return of Jesus when he comes back to earth. So, uh, all Christians throughout history uh, have believed at a core level, at a, an essential level, that Jesus will return to earth in bodily form one day. He will set everything straight, and he will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. But what's not been agreed on throughout history is the timing of when that will happen. Uh, Over the history, there's been at least four different views of that. Um, And whichever view that someone would hold, I think Paul would tell us this is at the important level here. Um, It's not an essential. And so we need to love and respect one another and live in harmony with each other, even if we disagree on the timing of something as important as Jesus' return. Uh, So again, Paul wants us to to be clear on what's core, in this case, the timing of, or the, the fact of Jesus' return. And he wants us to know what's not essential, but is really important, which might be the timing of his return. So there's a couple of reasons I bring up this whole idea of levels of belief. Um, uh, the idea of uh, essentials, of important beliefs, and of opinions. Uh, and the first is that there can be real relational consequences uh, when we try and hold uh, important or opinion level I didn't get to, and I'll go back to in a minute, Uh, opinion-level beliefs with the same levels we hold our core beliefs. So, real quick, opinion-level beliefs are things that the Bible doesn't either either doesn't mention at all or is super not clear about. Uh, This could be something like, uh, what happened to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph? Uh, At some point, if you read the gospel narratives, Joseph just kind of disappears. 
There's a couple theories on what happened. Uh, I personally believe that he died, but that's not stated in the scriptures. And so it's really just an opinion of mine. Uh, Another is whether or not the Apostle Paul was ever married. Uh, It never tells us in the scripture if he was married or not. There's some clues that we can get, and from what we know, kind of from uh, first century uh, Jewish tradition, it seems likely that he was married at one point, and maybe his wife died before he started his teaching ministry. But again, the scriptures don't tell us their opinion uh, level things, so we, we can't hold those as tightly as we do the core things. And so when we take issues like that, or important level issues, and we hold them with the same level of intensity or with the same level of importance as we do the essential issues, we run the risk of real relational fallout. Uh, we can cause people who are not yet Christians to get a wrong idea of what it means to follow Jesus, but we can also get ourselves in a situation where we're missing out on wonderful, genuine believers in Jesus who could have a meaningful impact on our lives, but we've, we've shut them out of our lives because they disagree with us on something that's not essential. And I think we lose out on that. Relationships are too important, I believe, in the body of Christ to let important but secondary or even opinion-level issues ruin relationships with other people. The second reason why I think uh, having the sort of categories of belief in our, our head is important is that not being clear on what's essential and what's important or opinion level can cause strain on our own personal spiritual journeys. Uh, if we try to hold all of our beliefs with the same level of importance or intensity, then when it comes to the time where we discover that one of our views that should be at the opinion level is wrong because we hold it as tight as we hold the core views, we're going to start to doubt all of the things that we believe when that really isn't necessary at all. An opinion level thing is something that we should be able to change our mind on and still hold to the core things and not not be shaken. And so so I think having these categories of beliefs not only helps us as we think about relating to others, but it helps us as we relate in our own relationship with God. So that was a mouthful. Thank you for hanging with me. Uh, <clears throat> with that as kind of a foundation, I want to start our series this morning uh, by looking at who God is and, and what we believe about who he is. Uh, and I'm going to use New Cove's statement of faith as a starting point. We don't usually bring our, new sta- our statement of faith up. Uh, you can find it on our website under the About Us section. Um, but this seemed like a good time to sort of reference that as we talk about some of the sub- subjects we're going to cover over the next few weeks. So, here's the first statement in Nico's Statement of Faith. It says, God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He has existed eternally in three persons, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are co-equal and are one God. So the first thing that we see in the statement is that God is the creator and ruler of the universe. God being creator is an idea that we find in the very first verse of the Bible. In Genesis 1-1, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first statement in the Bible is that God is creator, and it's important to us. Everything that we see, and even the things that we don't see, the Bible tells us from the very beginning, are things that don't exist by accident. Everything that we see and even don't see are things that were intentionally made by God, who is the creator. And that includes human beings. Uh, If we move further down in Genesis chapter 1 to verse 27, we read this. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So on a practical level, why is knowing that God is creator important to us in our daily lives? Well, first, I think that the fact that he is the creator means that all the rest of us are not. And that might seem obvious, right? Uh, There's only one creator. Uh, That we are the creature or the created one is important. Uh, Being the creator means that God is higher and greater than any other thing that we ever see or experience. Okay, everything else is creation. He is the creator. Uh, it's kind of like, and this is this is part of what we call in fancy theological terms uh, transcendence. It means that God is above all things, and His being creator is part of that. Uh, this is part of what that prayer. Uh, however you felt about it, although I was surprised that it moved me emotionally. Uh, thank you, Brett. That was wonderful. Uh, that's part of what the prayer was getting at, is that our God is so big that our thoughts, no matter how many we have of him, still will never be enough to fully capture who he is. And so God being creator is one of those things that sets him above everything else, and everything else is, is under him. So this is important, I think, for us because in our daily lives, it should lead us to a posture of humility uh, and respect as we relate to God. Uh, again, we're the creation, and so uh, we need to submit to him. If you've ever been frustrated with your children because they can't see a situation from the same perspective that you can see it because you're older and more experienced at life, then you should at least be open to the idea that there are times in your lives when there are things that you're going through where God might have a perspective that's bigger and greater than yours that you don't understand. And even though your life doesn't make sense to him, it makes complete sense, and it will work out. I know I I personally am guilty of at times trying to tell God how to run my life, uh, of thinking that I know better than he does how a certain situation should go or what my life should be like. But in those moments, if I can be reminded that he's the creator and I'm not, then it puts me in a place where I'm reminded that I'm dependent on him and, and I can trust him. And ultimately what it does is it releases me from feeling like I need to be in control of everything because ultimately I'm not, but he is because he made everything. He's the creator and I'm not. <clears throat> I think uh, another way that God being creator impacts us has to do with how we relate to one another. Uh, if every one of us is not the creator but has been created by God, then that puts all of us on the exact same level when it comes to our value. God didn't have to make any of us, but the fact that he did gives every human being incredible value. And if we look again at the passage from Genesis about God making people, we see that God made all people in his image. Every human being, according to the Bible, carries inside them a part of the image of God. It's like God's signature or fingerprint is on every human that's ever lived. So on a practical level, what that means is that when we think about the people that we interact with day in and day out, every single one of them is incredibly valuable to God. Whether that's your best friend, or the hard-to-get-along-with coworker, or your children, or your spouse, or even people that you really disagree with on important issues. Every single one of them has incredible value to God, and because of that, they deserve to be treated with kindness and respect, always. We're all on the same level. 
God says that they have value, and so we need to treat every person as if they have value. All right, so there's some thoughts on uh, the importance of God being creator and what that means to us uh, day in and day out. I want to look at the next phrase in our statement of faith, uh, the second part of it, and here's what it says. It says that he, God, has eternally existed in three personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are co-equal, and they are one God. I know there's two parts of the statement. Uh, the first tells us that God has existed eternally. Um, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all the details on that, other than to say that the Bible teaches that God has always existed. He always will exist. He's the uncaused cause. He created everything. And it's one of those things that's part of his transcendence. It's a quality that he possesses that we don't, and it makes him unique. It makes him God. What I want to do is focus a little bit on the second part of that statement. And when I was putting this together, uh, this is actually the part that I was hoping to avoid because it's complicated. Um, (laughs) And as I was thinking back about this, I realized I have this habit of getting complicated topics to talk about on Sunday morning sometimes. So I probably should have not been surprised that this would show up on my, on my list of things that, to talk about. But this is the idea that God uh, has one essence, in other words, the th- stuff that makes God who he is. But he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, in short, the Bible is always taught that there's only one God. Uh, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 and 5, we read the classic statement on this. Uh, the people of Israel are getting ready to enter uh, a land that God had promised to them generations previously. And as they're getting ready to enter the land, Moses has some commands for them that they're to obey. And he begins with these words. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Moses makes it clear that there's only one God. And in the New Testament, this idea is affirmed. Uh, In Romans chapter 3, verse 30, the Apostle Paul says that there's only one God who can bring people into relationship with him. Uh, The actual language says, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. And he's talking about two different people groups here, and that's another whole story. But the point is, uh, Paul says there's only one God who can bring people into relationship with him. So, So the Bible teaches, both in the Old and New Testament, there's only one God. But the Bible also makes it clear that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see this when the biblical authors attribute the same qualities to Jesus the Son and to the Holy Spirit as they do to God the Father. Uh, a great example of this uh, comes in Genesis. It's, it's verse 2 from what we read earlier. Uh, we read there, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the deep, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the waters. So the Holy Spirit was present and involved in the creation event. In John chapter 1, we also read that Jesus is God and that he created everything. Uh, In John 1, 1, we read this. In the beginning, that should sound familiar, was the Word, which John later tells us is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
Now, like I said, you might have noticed that John begins with the same words of his gospel as we saw in the book of Genesis in the beginning, and that's very intentional. John wants us to know that Jesus is the exact same creator God that we met in Genesis chapter 1. He's telling us that Jesus is God. Now, how this all works out, that one God exists in three persons, is what theologians and philosophers call a mystery. Uh, That's when you have uh, two or more ideas that seem to be in conflict with one another and yet could be understood or resolved if there was some additional knowledge that we had. Uh, In this case, that additional knowledge might be something that's beyond our ability to understand. And I'm okay with that. If God is really transcendent, if he's above and beyond what we can really understand or imagine, then it makes sense that this might be one of those things that is both true about God and yet is hard to understand. Uh, Brilliant thinkers over the centuries have tried using different analogies to try and explain the Trinity. At the end of the day, they all break down uh, in one way or another. But I think that's okay. Because God is transcendent, because he is greater than his creation, I think there are going to be just some things about God that we can't fully understand. But it doesn't mean that we can't know him. And that's something that we're going to get to here in just a moment. Uh, I want to talk for a minute about why God being a trinity is important. The picture we get from Scripture is that the persons of the Godhead relate to one another. So the Son prays to the Father, the Father speaks to the Son, the Spirit encourages and affirms the Son, and God, the Father, sends the Spirit out into the world to do His work. Uh, It's a wonderful picture of the three persons of the Godhead relating to each other. And this is wonderful news for us because what it means is that this transcendent God who made everything and in some ways is above our knowing or ability to understand is a relational being. And he wants to be known and he wants people to know that they're known by him. One of the reasons that many theologians believe that God made the world is because God wanted to share this wonderful loving relationship that he has within himself as the Trinity with others. He wants relationship with others. He wants them to experience him and the love that he has. I believe that the thing that God wants most from people is not obedience, although following his ways has its place for sure, but what he wants most from people is relationship. What the Trinity tells us is that God at his core is relational, and he wants relationship with us. It's, it's key to who he is. So here's a couple uh, implications for, the, for that. One, uh, if you're on the fence about following Jesus, if you're in the process of trying to check out what following Jesus is all about because you don't know ultimately what that could mean, I want you to know that part of that experience is going to be having a relationship with God. It's going to be knowing him and being known by him because he wants you to know him. The other implication has to do, uh, for those of us who maybe walked with God or Jesus for a long time, but you find yourself in a season of life where God feels distant, or maybe you're stuck in a relationship with God, or he feels silent. I've had a number of those periods uh, in my own life, in my relationship with God, and they're never enjoyable, but I can tell you from experience that God always, at some point, reminds me again of his presence and his work in my life, and often in those seasons, he gives me a passage 
in the scriptures about who he is that I've been able to hang on to that remind me that he sees me, that he knows what's going on, and that he wants to be present with me even when I can't feel it. So if you're in a situation where that is your experience right now, I want you to know that God has not abandoned you. He's with you. He wants you to know that he's with you. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to know that you are known by him, and he loves you. And that wouldn't necessarily be the case if God wasn't a relational being, if he wasn't a trinity. So that's why I think that's really important for us. Another reason that I think God being a trinity is important is because it's an example to us of how we're to relate to one another. That God is three distinct persons in one essence is a wonderful picture of how we're to live in unity with one another. Uh, It helps us to see that the differences that we each have are actually things to be appreciated and enjoyed about one another, and that when all those things come together, they create one wonderful unit, whether it's a family or a community of Jesus followers, a church, that because of its diversity and its unity together, shows the character of God to the rest of the world. And it helps us, I think, also remember to appreciate what's different about one another when we experience things that kind of rub us wrong about others, because we're not all the same. So let me wrap up here real quick. As we think uh, about becoming grounded in the essentials of our faith, knowing that God exists, that he made everything, including people, and that he's relational at his core is a great place to start when it comes to knowing and following God. And so I hope that's something that wherever you're at in your relationship with God, you'll be able to rest in this week, and you'll be able to hold on to tightly as core. Uh, as we've seen, these ideas don't just affect our relationship with God, they, reflect, they affect our relationships with one another. And so I hope that something we've talked about this morning helps you reconsider how you relate to the people around you, whether it's seeing them as incredibly valuable because God has made them and bear his image, or whether it's because their uniqueness uh, reflects part of the Trinity Uh, and the relationship that God wants to have with each of us. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being creator, for making all things. Thank you that because you are, uh, that means you're greater than us. And and because of that, I I pray that you help us to to take that to heart and to live humbly uh, before you and before others, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Uh, Father, thank you as well that you are relational, that even though you're above us, you want to be known, you want us to know you. And God, I pray that for each of us, uh, you would grow us in our experience of knowing you this week, that we would have moments uh, or experiences or conversations with others or times when we read the scriptures where you let us feel close to you and known by you. Thanks that those are things that you want for us because you're relational. And I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.